When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. From the examination of the galaxies of space, images begin to appear. Images of strange and powerful forces. But of all the forces in the universe, the two most powerful, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, prepare to explode, champion versus champion, title for title, it's the Ultimate Challenge, it's WrestleMania! Yes, yes. Welcome in to a special episode of Mackie and Judd. This is WrestleMania Rewind, and we are admittedly stealing this from Rest in Peace, Score North Live, and Rami Makhlouf was the brainchild of this, Declan Goff. The three of us used to do this on Mondays on Score North Live, and maybe we can go back and pull some of our previous rewinds and just post them on the Mackie and Judd podcast feed. But we're going to do this every single Monday on Mackie and Judd, the podcast. We're going to dive in. One by one by one in order, WrestleManias. And we're going to put the rewind treatment on it, just like we do for action movies, just like we do for Minnesota Sports Rewind. Uh, and we've already done the first five WrestleManias, so this is this is the first in this podcast feed. WrestleMania 6, Declan Goff. And oh, that, great. that intro still gives me goosebumps Oof. after 30 years. dude. Can you hit that one more time? Okay. Upon the examination of the galaxies of space... Images begin to appear. Images of strange and powerful forces. But of all the forces in the universe, the two most powerful, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, prepare to explode. Champion versus champion. Title for title. It's the Ultimate Challenge. It's WrestleMania. His voice. You can read a promo. Vinny Mac, man. Welcome, everyone! Kiss my ass! When does, when does he join? I mean, I gotta imagine he he's on the commentary crew, because I remember he was. He did commentary at WrestleMania 2. That's he, right. He was a regular commentator, I think, on some of their, like, I, I'm pretty sure he he did some of their, uh, like, non-pay-per-view special events, yeah. and I believe Saturday Night Main Event he was, was a commentator on. And then Monday Night Raw, he was the first play-by-play man, and then Jim Ross came in. 
But WrestleMania six, the summary is very simple. This was the ultimate challenge, a showdown between two good guys at the time, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. The Ultimate Warrior was undefeated, billed as being undefeated at that point in his WWF career. Intercontinental Champion versus World Wrestling Federation Champion Hulk Hogan. Title for title on April 1st, 1990, inside the, at that point, I believe brand new Toronto Skydome. Declan, let's start with this one. I'll throw it to you first. What was okay. your favorite part of WrestleMania 6? I Well, outside of the intro we played already two times in the first uh, three and a half minutes here. <laughs> I loved just the buildup of Hulk and Ultimate Warrior. I think this had a lot of WrestleMania 5 in it where I won't say the mat, the undercard and the matches leading up weren't really that important, but they, they lacked a little oomph. Like the card as a whole lacked a little oomph, but they did a great job, I think, building things up. And what we, maybe what we should do too is try to go back and like watch just not a raw, but a pay per view or in house stuff like. A week or two before, maybe to get that little extra buildup. Yeah, you know, uh, of, of just really to expect the WrestleMania, especially if you don't remember this stuff, because you know, I thinking about what we're on WrestleMania six was nineteen ninety, I believe, correct? Uh-huh. So at about ninety six, ninety seven is when I started watching WrestleMania and really can gravitate towards that. So I remember the slow burns, but trying to capture all the burns in that, trying to capture all the storylines is, is a little tough. But I, I think they did a phenomenal job of building this up: Intercontinental t- Champion Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan who I know left for WCW in a couple years after this. He was still sticking around for a little bit. But clearly, you had begun to slowly pass that torch. And I think that was the coolest part of just building up to that main event of Warrior and Hulk. It felt like, and then there's a lot to get to once we get to WrestleMania 7 and 8, and I'll get to some of the fallout here in my notes. But at the time of this WrestleMania, the Ultimate Warrior was taking the torch, like you said, from Hulk Hogan, who... At one point, also passed it to Macho Man Randy Savage. So you really had like three top-level main event guys minimum on your roster here. And then you fast-forward another year or two, and all those dudes were gone. Well, Macho Man was still there in 1993, but um, this was this was the peak for Ultimate Warrior. And they were building up, and they even did the, the L.A. Coliseum year you know the the promotion for uh, the next year's WrestleMania WrestleMania 7 they're going to put right. 100,000 people inside the uh the Los Angeles Coliseum and the initial plan was supposed to be a rematch the next year with Hogan and Ultimate Warrior and that fell apart for a few different reasons but my favorite part of WrestleMania 6 outside of what was actually a phenomenal main event match between two guys not known for their in-ring wrestling and according to we also have uh, our WrestleMania historian loyal listener <laughs> Michael McGivern that sends us a long email every single week that helps us fortify the prep for this. Uh, Pat Patterson, behind the scenes, legendary intercontinental champion, referee, and then one of Vince McMahon's right-hand men behind the scenes. Pat Patterson helped these guys put together this match, fully scripted from start to back, 22 minutes, and they rehearsed it multiple times before mm. WrestleMania six. And it was like it was just a classic, great 80s main event. It's two jacked-up dudes doing tests of strength and going back and forth. At various points, both were impervious to pain, which is a very Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior thing. Yeah. And so aside from just like the match being amazing and it being the first WrestleMania that I ever got hooked on as a kid, I was five years old. I remember my mom renting this video for me all the time at the video <laughs> store. It was it was this and it was WrestleMania three that were always uh, in rotation at the Mackie house back in the day. The crowd was so geeked yeah. for so many matches here. Like you don't see... Like you get crowds like this sometimes. I feel like wrestling crowds now are always 
disappointed. Their expectations are always up here, and then the delivery is never what they expect. You know, sort of the internet crowd, the internet wrestling age. But in 1989, 1990, 1991, wrestling was just like, so so many people just bought into good guy versus bad guy storylines, right? And you look at some of these matches that generated major crowd pops. The biggest one, I think, was when Demolition beat the Colossal Connection, Andre the Giant and Haku <laughs> with Bobby Heenan. Like, it was so easy to get the crowd to do what you wanted, right? Okay, the bad guys with a bad manager uh, versus the 1980s metal-looking tag team, and the crowd's going to pop for the metal tag team, and then even at the end of the match, like, let's get onto the Giant to be a good guy again at his last WrestleMania. Let's have Bobby Heenan slap him, and then he turns into a good guy again. Like, just the way that the crowd hung on every single thing in 1990 in wrestling was on display here in WrestleMania six. I just love the crowd reaction. Yeah, I liked it a lot, too, and... In terms of Andre, you could tell that, you know, you saw him starting to break down even by WrestleMania 3 when, when yeah, that was He was happening. a disaster by this point. And I know, I think he only lived for just a few more years. I think in like 93 he passed away. So he was on his last tour. And I didn't know actually. So this was his last WrestleMania appearance? Yep. Okay. So, yeah, and you can just tell he's a little bit of a hobbled man. He's not the same guy he was. But Bobby the Brain, I think, is a great guy to get those guys back over. I mean, he's such a hateable kind of person. That when he slaps Andre, it just it erupts and, and the crowd works so well off it. Yeah, I would say the crowd reaction actually for this one was a lot better and maybe the best that we've ever seen from WrestleMania up to that point. Okay, your least favorite part about WrestleMania six. So this is a little cheap because it didn't involve anything that had to do with wrestling, really. There's a part, and I think they showed her a couple times, but they actually interviewed her. They interviewed Mary Tyler Moore. That like Mary Tyler Moore is an actress and a very good one, like a really decorated actress. Minnesota's own. Yeah. And I forget who's asking her the questions. And I don't know, maybe it was maybe it's poor questions, but everything. Yeah. Are you enjoying it? OK. Yeah. It was she all she one give word. Yeah. I was like, Mary, say something more. And you can tell the guys really trying to get more out of her. Are you excited for it in L.A. next year? Yes. And yeah. she's like, oh, my God, say something more. I feel like especially early on, the WWF tried so hard to bring celebrities into WrestleMania right. and it was mostly just a disaster. Like Bob Uecker was pretty funny, but it was like Vanna White had no idea what she was doing at WrestleMania four. <laughs> That's right. And That's right. It was all just kind of a disaster. My least favorite part about WrestleMania six was the wildly uncomfortable racist Roddy Roddy Piper yeah. who painted half of his body in blackface <sighs> to face bad news Brown in this one. And according to our WrestleMania historian friend, Mike McGivern, these two guys hated each other so much and both refused to do the job to the other. They had to come up with just a ridiculously dumb finish where like both guys were counted out or disqualified yeah, or something. Count out, I can't believe. remember exactly. Yeah, it was a count out. Uh, but this was Roddy Piper's first WrestleMania match in three years because he left. He retired at WrestleMania three to go do movies and stuff that didn't work out very well. So <laughs> he came back. To uh, to be a wrestler. All right, what other observations stood out most to you, WrestleMania six? So with the rowdy thing, like obviously I could tell the blackface thing that was going on was a little uncomfortable. Like, and, and, and by the way, like 19, we're not talking about nineteen thirty here, okay? This isn't like you know, this isn't like uh, the eighteen hundreds rolling into a new century and like oh, like you know, we're still within we're still within striking range of the slavery era here. This is 1990, man, right. and you're half in blackface? Like, how is that something that's approved? And they even told him, there's Roddy Piper talking in jive. <laughs> like, what? How is that even acceptable I in know. 1990? The, the promo was 
peak Rowdy. Like he like Rowdy can cut a promo better than anyone. I think. I mean, he's really great on the mic. Yeah, but it was a little weird. I in terms of other things, I didn't really like. I believe this one didn't this end really quickly. The Heart Foundation versus you know the, the Bolsheviks. The Bolsheviks. Yeah, I think that was way too quick. I love. I, I mean, Bret Hart, best there is, best there is, best never will be. I want more Bret Hart. I know we're getting slowly to there, and I know he headlines in a WrestleMania here in, in about '96, so we're we're slowly getting up to there. But I would have liked to see much more Bret Hart, and I know they're they're more establishing him here because I think the WrestleMania five was his first appearance. It might have been even a little bit before was. that. Uh, I believe actually, I believe Bret Hart was in WrestleMania two and three. Oh, was he? Yeah, okay. I believe the Hart Foundation was. Yeah, they. They they were like a five year great tag team. Yeah, and then the Hart Foundation. Then Bret Hart went solo for a few years, and there's there's some great Bret Hart stuff coming up, starting in like WrestleMania seven eight, and then the Hart Foundation became a stable yeah. in the mid nineteen nineties. So I like to see a little bit more of them. Um, I thought that was a little bit disappointing, and just in general, I I think it took a long time. The like the pre match card, the first three matches, I should say. It just took a long time to really get me really focused and interested in the WrestleMania, which Rick, is hard over a three and a half, four hour sprint. I mean, the model Rick Martel versus Coco Beware didn't do anything did, for you did, after I, that? It didn't. And I think this is the uh, problem. You know, I know Rami had run into some of this too. Some of this is just boring as hell. Like so, some of these matches, and like unless you were a Pierce and you grew up with it like you did, some of this stuff, like for me who didn't grow up, like, and I'm spoiled, right? Like my peak wrestling fandom was the Attitude Era. That's yeah. when I started watching wrestling. So you started watching wrestling when they would bring out like, Barbed wire bats yeah. and thumbtacks and stuff, and right? Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian jumping off of ladders. Like it was I'm spoiled rotten in that regard. So some of the some of these matches are just pain like I I honestly like the promos some of them more than I actually do some of yeah. the matches. Well, I think this is the this is the era where they at least opened up the outside of the ring a little bit more. So there was some there right. was some action outside the ring and and you had some high flyers in here by now that were like every other match had somebody, whether it was a Coco Beware or the Rockers. Like you had enough guys that were kind of jumping around and coming off the top rope a little bit, but you're mostly coming out of an era where there was no outside the ring action in the 60s, 70s, early 80s, mid 80s. There were very few guys jumping off the top rope. It was like when Jimmy Snooker started jumping off the top rope in the early 80s, it was like, oh my God, it's death defying. Mm-hmm. And then now you fast forward and there's guys like Ricochet in the WWE now that are doing, you know, 960 splashes off the top rope. Right. Um, but you also had, so Jake the Snake Roberts was uh, in this WrestleMania again. He uh, he fought Ted DiBiase for the million dollar championship and got beat in this match. But his finisher was the DDT, right? Yeah. And nobody else was using the DDT because that was Jake Roberts' finisher. Well, now like, and, and Hulk Hogan's finisher was the leg drop and the Ultimate Warrior's finisher was like a splash the finishers in the early 90s and the late 80s are just like basic moves right. by the time the late 90s rolled around. So if you grew up not watching this and you watched the Attitude Era in the early 2000s and then you went back and watched this, I could see how, yeah, okay, that's that Tito Santana throws like a flying forearm. Otherwise, it's a bunch <laughs> of wrestles. Even the main event, Warrior and Hogan, not that these guys would be like flying around very much anyways, but that match included two lengthy rest holds. You yeah. figure, all right, we're going to do a 20, 25 minute match here. Okay, we're not going to be able to go full steam for 20 minutes, or we're both going to just pass out from exhaustion. So let's make sure we do a five minute bear hug here. And then let's do uh, like a reverse chokehold over over on this side of the mat so that we can gather ourselves. A fake injury outside with Hogan, like his leg went out of the room, which I thought was pretty hilarious. His knee, yeah. Yeah, his knee blew out a little bit. <laughs> um, 
I, I did love, and I know, she's been such an integral part of every WrestleMania, the whole Miss Elizabeth part with Macho Man and kind of essentially turning on Macho Man. I mean, she maybe already had turned on Macho Man. I know yeah, she, she had kind of gone into the corner of Hulk Hogan by the time WrestleMania 5 rolled around. Yeah. And then Macho Man connected with Queen Sherry, who's yeah. one of the great underrated women characters in the history of wrestling. Just an absolute, just played this psycho fringe lunatic role to a T. Right. I liked what she did in the match with Dusty and Macho. I thought that was awesome. And again, not knowing the buildup, but watching her promo before the match where, you know, she was essentially behind the scenes or she really wasn't involved too much with what was happening in the wrestling ring or with Macho or with Hulk. So I thought it was really unique how they pinned Elizabeth against her. Because I know Macho and Elizabeth were married for a long time. I know they divorced. And even after they divorced, they still worked together. You know, she still managed him here and there. She would be involved in storylines with Macho up until she passed away. But I thought it was really unique how they continued to use her in different ways, even back then. Also, not to tease too far ahead, but WrestleMania 7 is the ultimate culmination of the Macho Man Miss Elizabeth storyline. Okay. It's actually one of the coolest matches in the history of WrestleMania All between right. Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior. But you'll have to wait till next week yes, to, to watch Jack. that. Um, this WrestleMania was also, I think Earthquake was at WrestleMania 5, but this was like the real coming out party for Earthquake as a villain. They were setting up Earthquake to go one-on-one with Hulk Hogan later in a feud, I believe later in 1990. But Earthquake was famous for just absolutely destroying opponents with sprinting back and forth off the ropes, jumping high in the air with what they call like a 500-pound body. That's the funny part. So Earthquake... Uh, against Hercules. And you look at those guys like Hercules is all jacked up on roids. Yeah. And Earthquake is a little bit taller and he's mostly just like man boobs, right? right. He's, and he's got like the, like the short, what you would call it, like the crotch onesie. Yeah. Where you can see like the, the thigh flabs are yeah, spilling out. Yeah, the is filling out a little bit. Yeah. And they framed this match in the commentary as a 200 pound weight difference between Earthquake and Hercules, which was not true. But Earthquake gets two different uh two different i guess pummelings in there delivers two different pummelings in this match or in this card one delivering to Hercules and then later on he comes back and uh, I can't remember I think it was uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan later on where uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan beats Dino Bravo by hitting him over the back with a 2 by 4 and then Earthquake comes out and destroys Hacksaw Jim Duggan when I was a kid and sometimes they would do the fake blood in the mouth when Earthquake yep. would sit on an opponent. It was like the most, he was the most terrifying villain ever when you were five or six years old. And you were just worried for Hulk Hogan's life when he would eventually run into, into the Earthquake. So uh, that's, that's another reason why this WrestleMania is meaningful. All right. Any other things that stood out to you before we do a little bit of a deeper dive here into Hogan Warrior? No, not really. I mean, I thought it was, I love the commentary team. I mean, man, Jesse Ventura is so good. I, I, I love, he plays that heel commentator so well. I mean, Jerry Lawler, it felt really sticky after a while. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there were people that grew up watching Ventura that probably had the same thoughts I do about Jerry the King Lawler. But I thought he did a great job of always just piggybacking right off his commentator and having the reverse review and picking on him. I love the shout outs to Minneapolis. Like, no one from Minneapolis, no one cares about Minneapolis here. It's WWF. Like, yeah. I, thought it, I thought that stuff was great. Yeah, Jesse the Body, man. There were some great, I mean, Gorilla Monsoon with Jesse, Gorilla Monsoon with Bobby Heenan for a couple of years there at these WrestleManias. Um, according to our friend Michael in his notes, so you might be wondering, oh, Dusty Rhodes, this is Dusty Rhodes, the legendary NWA World Heavyweight Champion, 
these eighties feuds with Ric Flair, these bloodbath matches and steel cages, and then he comes over to WWF and Vince McMahon puts him in a polka dot costume and has him just like belligerently happy all the time, and he's with Sapphire. This like is she a? Are they together? Is she a manager? <laughs> Nobody really knows. And it was Vince McMahon's way of trying to take a superstar from the rival NWA and right. sort of bury him. But Dusty Rhodes was so great that he gets over anyways, and he and he pulls off the polka dot gimmick. So, um, all right, next question for you here, WrestleMania Rewind. How would you rank this main event compared to the first five WrestleMania main events? All right, we're going to start our definitive main event rankings. Okay. And as I have them right now, based on our conversations, sort of an executive decision, I've got Hogan Savage, number one, WrestleMania five. Hogan Andre from WrestleMania three, number two. If you want to put that number one, we can we can do that. Sure. Savage DiBiase from the finals of the tournament, WrestleMania 4. The tag team match from WrestleMania 1. And then Hogan versus King Kong Bundy cage match at WrestleMania 2 at the bottom of the list. Yeah. Th- Do you I, take issue with that list? And then where would you put Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan? I, I think I put Warrior and Hogan number one. I do too. I, I don't think it's I personally. I really don't think it's too close. The Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, Macho Man and Hulk Hogan one at five was pretty awesome. I think that's that's probably two, um, and and it shouldn't be overshadowed by how great one was. But I, I think those ones are number those ones are easily definitively one and two, and then I I don't want to say the three through five are irrelevant, but they just don't really hold a candle. The the tournament thing was so weird. The cage match at two wasn't really appealing to the eye. So I, I would say that I would, I would put six, five, one would be the top three, and then the the bottom are just kind of irrelevant for me. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going Warrior Hogan number one on this list. Yeah, it's. I think it's the best storyline. It's the you know, it's the two biggest stars. Well, it's maybe not the best storyline. Hogan Andre was probably a better storyline, but it's like the most colossal, most popular wrestlers in the world at that time going one on one. It was also innovative to not do the good guy bad guy formulaic thing. Usually it's good guy, bad guy. Yeah. And in this case, it was good guy, good guy. And the audience was kind of split. In fact, the promo was even on point. You had like peak Hulk Hogan promo and peak Ultimate Warrior promo. I got to prove one thing to all my Hulkamaniacs out there. It's not whether you win or whether you lose. The only thing that matters is what kind of winner you are or what kind of loser you are. And Ultimate Warrior, I sure hope you're a good loser, brother. What you gonna do in Sky Dome when the largest arms in the world and Hulkamania destroys you? I wonder how many takes it took him. Just an amazing promo. Yeah, he's really good. And it, 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 I don't know if it's the steroids up his butt or what, but it, it, he, he can cut one of his best. Colors of the Hulkamaniacs. I'm coming through the pores of my skin. Hulk Hogan, when we meet Hulk Hogan, I will look at you and you will realize then that I have come to do no one no harm, but only Hulk Hogan to take what we both believe in to places it shall never have been. So the WWE at one point did basically just like a smear job documentary on the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. In like the early 2000s. Yep. Because everyone just hated him and, and he winds up, he winds up just being a pain in the ass after he gets the championship. And he was a pain in the ass before that. But at one point, I can't remember if it was SummerSlam of 1990 or the following SummerSlam, 
he essentially, I believe it was 1991 SummerSlam, he demanded $500,000 in retroactive pay because he felt like his match and storyline at WrestleMania 7 was just as important as Hulk Hogan's. So like that he was still carrying the company even though he wasn't the champion anymore. Gotcha. And he essentially like threatened to not wrestle at SummerSlam and to wow. not wrestle at these big cards the next year. Vince McMahon, who is in a bind, winds up giving him the $500,000. But then later on after SummerSlam, after Vince gets what he wants, which is the warrior at SummerSlam, I believe he suspended the ultimate warrior. But literally like within two years of the warrior winning the championship at WrestleMania six and being blast off into the universe as the net and Hogan goes off to film a movie afterwards. So this is the warriors company. Basically he was just too much of a pain in the ass behind the scenes and too egotistical and not good enough in the ring and didn't sell for anybody. Like they couldn't do anything with him really. Right. And so he winds up just fading. This was his peak. And then he just fades over a two year period, made a brief comeback a couple years later and then was gone. Like six months made another brief comeback in the mid to late nineties and beat Triple H in like two minutes at WrestleMania. And that was it. Like this was, you thought this was going to launch the warrior into like the next decade of being a star. And it wound up just being basically nothing after this. For him. So I remember, I remember hearing stories that he was a huge pain in the butt to deal with. I, we all knew that his in ring ability was pretty limited and it was more of his promos. And honestly, his entrance that really got the crowd fired up of him just yeah, sprinting uh, all the way down there. And you know, it's it's such a weird thing too with his dynamic with the WWE, where yeah, the schmear job thing goes on, and then even when he gets inducted to the Hall of Fame, and he just he dies the next day of a heart attack, and it's just it's I don't say it's spooky, it is very spooky, but it is it's 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 like whoa, like he finally gets maybe the recognition he deserves, and we can bury the hatchet and move on and appreciate everything that you did for us, and he dies the next day. Yeah. It is it is legitimately one of the spookiest wrestling deaths of all time. And there's a lot of spooky live wrestling deaths. Yes. All kinds of them. And he was still when I was a kid, you were either a Hogan guy or you were an Ultimate Warrior guy. And I had the Ultimate Warrior wrestling buddy. Oh, I, I had a Hulk Hogan one. My brother had a Hulk Hogan one. We had the Legion of Doom. So okay. yes, yeah. We had both. And those. I dude, I I would like wear the little armbands and stuff and <laughs> run around my neighborhood shirtless with tassels. I still do that yeah, sometimes. It's great. That yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, all right, so we both have Warrior and Hogan, number one on this list. Which match on this card stole the show for the, the non-main event matches for you? So, I mean, I, I loved the Rockers. I liked, Shawn Michaels is my all-time favorite wrestler, like not even close. He's my number one. And it's cool to see the Rockers and stuff. In fact, it got me down yesterday, like just a Wikipedia hole of Marty Jannetty, because obviously I know, the, I know the split up. And I know, you know, Michaels essentially rose to the top of the company there from the mid to late 90s before his first ridiculous retirement. But I didn't remember kind of like what happened to Janetti. And people, at least wrestling purists, say Janetti was just as good as Shawn Michaels. He was a little older. In I mean, the ring. In yeah. the ring. And it, it was very interesting to me just kind of like how Janetti basically got like cast off the moment he threw him into that barbershop window. But I, I liked seeing those two work together because they were so innovative at the time. You talk about you know guys being really boring and bland and suplex and DDTs, where these guys were the opposite. I mean, they were the kind of foundation, if you will, to Hardy Boys and 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 High Rollers. I yeah. thought that was a cool part to see them actually get in the ring on in WrestleMania six. Yeah, Janae, and there's there's more. I think WrestleMania seven, I believe, is when like the breakup starts to happen somewhere in there. But I just remember 
Shawn Michaels was so much more charismatic, and Janetti was was a great worker in the ring, but he was just like even when they would deliver promos, like there was just there was some kind of a a charming edge about Shawn Michaels, and Janetti was always just sort of a wet piece of cardboard on the <laughs> microphone. So you you knew that there was going to be and and ultimately they could have had they had they had a couple blow off feuds, but like you thought maybe this could be a great WrestleMania feud, and it just I don't know Janetti just wasn't. Wasn't there for me, but I would say the match that stole the show for me, uh, aside from the main event, Jake Roberts and Ted DiBiase. Yeah, and that's the only other match that got more than ten minutes here on this card. There were fifteen total matches if you include the dark match between Paul Roma and the Brooklyn Brawler. But uh, I think Ted DiBiase and Jake Roberts are two of the most unheralded, underrated dudes from that era. They all got overshadowed by Macho Man, even Ric Flair. Yeah, in in a in a different organization. They got overshadowed by Hogan and Ultimate Warrior. But in terms of like dudes who could work and talk on a microphone, Teddy Biasi and Jake Roberts were unbelievable. And I think that's like that's my one biggest question about that era because you didn't have weekly TV and you weren't swapping titles as often as you are now. You didn't have as many titles. Could there have been a better spot for Teddy Biasi and Jake Roberts to have a world title run for six right. months or a year or something? And it just never really played out. Yeah, I, I I knew Jake the Snake, obviously, from the gimmick of the snake. And my dad was a big Jake the Snake guy. But I don't. I knew of Ted DiBiase. I knew his gimmick was he had a load of cash. But I never really got to see him wrestle. And th- that is the one thing I have appreciated is at least getting, even though some of these have been a little boring for my taste, it is cool to see you know your legends, the WWE legends, in the ring during their prime. Yeah. Whether they were being buried on the card, that's a different story. But it is actually cool to actually sit down and because it forces me to actually watch these legends wrestle, yeah. which I like a lot. Uh, all right. We're going to have a new rating system here. All right. Starting with this one, different than Scornorth Live. Okay. It's a 1 to 10 stunner scale. Okay. Stone Cold Stunner scale. I love it. How many Stone Cold Stunners on a 1 to 10 scale would you give WrestleMania 6? I would give it a 6.5. Okay. And I could I could move that up higher if if the rest of the card, I was more interested in the rest of the card. Obviously, the main event holds the biggest merit here. I don't think this was a snooze fest like two, like WrestleMania two was, or even most of five. Like I, I, or actually, I think we liked five, but I thought this one was a lot better. I thought the storytelling was better. The crowd being into it helped out too. That's what that's what's so weird about wrestling right now, Phil, is with the crowds being out of wrestling. Like it's it's hard to watch. It's so hard to watch. I can't so, do it. So yeah. when when a crowd is into it. You, you feed off it, and then the wrestlers feed off that, and I think that's a struggle for the current day wrestling, but you saw it at 6 that they really loved the crowd, and the crowd was going crazy, and there's like 66,000, 67,000 people in Toronto there, yeah. so it, it was it was really cool. I thought the crowd helped, the, helped out the energy a lot. I, there's a lot of good wrestlers here. I wish they would have been a little bit more creative with them, but in general, I would say a 6.5 out of 10 for Stone Cold Stunners. So I give it 7 Stone Cold Stunners out of 10, just a little bit better than you do. The main event was incredible, just the just to to have two guys who were that popular, you know, of the thirty six WrestleManias or whatever. How many how many times can you count where it's just like Rock and Aust- This was Rock and Austin ten years earlier. That's what this was. Hogan Andre was kind of the same thing. Just two wildly popular superstars. What holds it back for me is the fact that they squeezed fifteen matches in. It's yeah, just too much. Like that's a lot. You're giving guys two minutes a match. Like you're giving guys. If you look at the time of all the matches, you only had one match that went over 10 minutes, and that was the main event. And you fast forward to like WrestleMania 10. They only had nine matches on the entire card, and they said, all right, we're going to go 20 minutes on this one because it's a great story, and we can tell it. We can just 
play this feud out. We're gonna have a ladder match that goes like twenty or thirty minutes, and then a main event over here, and we're gonna we're gonna draw this thing out. I just don't know if you need like the model of Rick Martel against Coco Beware. Yeah, you know, it's just like it's just a match. But at the same time, in nineteen ninety, they didn't have as many outlets for matches like that. They didn't have a weekly TV show like they do now. That that match would just be on Raw now. Yeah. Oh, just cool. We'll just do a right feud on, on Raw. Raw. You guys won't make it to WrestleMania. That's cool. But I think they felt the need to just showcase. 30 or 40 different superstars on one card. And so, so it's a seven for me. So WrestleMania seven is in Los Angeles, obviously. And you said the, at least the main event is warrior and macho man. No, no, that's sort of the secondary main event. Ooh, all right. Okay. The main okay. event of WrestleMania seven is tapping into the war with the middle East Hulk Hogan <laughs> versus Sergeant Slaughter. Oh, Sergeant right. Slaughter essentially goes from being a U.S. army figure in the AWA to being a traitor <laughs> heading into WrestleMania seven. I think there may have been a flag burning thing leading oh, up wow. to this as well. And then in WrestleMania seven, you had the ultimate warrior versus macho man, Randy Savage in a retirement match. Okay. Whoever loses has to give up their career and miss Elizabeth plays a role. Heck yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. I'm looking it's forward awesome. to it. So, all right. Any final thoughts on WrestleMania six? No, I, more Vince McMahon promos. More, more of Vince McMahon on the microphone. Upon the examination of the galaxies of space, images begin to appear. Images of strange and powerful forces. But of all the forces in the universe, the two most powerful: Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. Prepare to explode. Champion versus champion. Title for title. It's the ultimate challenge. It's WrestleMania! By the way, before we wrap here, that, you, know, you ever get these songs stuck in your head from when you're a kid and they just pop into your head yeah. and you don't know where they're from? That song right there has been in my head for 30 years. <laughs> Dude, I'll just be walking around the hallways and... Dun, 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 dun. Like, where is that from? That's me with that, that's me with DX music. Now I will just be degenerate into something fool. <laughs> I'll just be just humming. Yeah, seriously, just get in the mail. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, that's a wrap. If uh, if you have thoughts on WrestleMania six or any other WrestleMania that you want to run by us, you can tweet at Phil Mackey and uh, at Dex's tweets. Right? Dexs tweets. And at Score North as well. You can also follow us on Instagram. And if you could be so kind as to give the Mackie and Judd podcast feed a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple and uh, tell a few friends about the show if you like it. We appreciate you following along here as we continue our trek to review every single WrestleMania on the books.